Welcome to the Adventures of Alice and Bob. Today's episode is hosted by Carl and James. They are joined by Sammy Leho to talk about how he became one of the leading public speakers in the world of Microsoft topics, how choosing your words wisely can convince people to take security seriously, and how he dealt with the Vostamo attack, the largest crime ever committed in Finland. Follow the human side of cybersecurity on the Adventures of Alice and Bob podcast. Sammy, nice to meet you again. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Carl Lankford. I've been in information security for a little over 15 years, uh, focused on identity security for the past seven or so. Really, really happy to be here today, and I'm based out of Oxford in the UK. And I'm James Maud. Uh, I work with Carl, and I'm a security researcher at a company called Beyond Trust, focusing on identity and access management. I've done various things over the years, uh, primarily involved around cybersecurity research. So really excited to be on here today. I'm really excited to be talking to Sammy as I've spent many a happy hour watching his presentations at Microsoft events. So really pleased we've got him on today. Hey, everyone. My name is Sammy Laiho. I'm a Microsoft MVP and a security expert stationed in Finland. I'm in my summer house's uh, basement where I've sat for the past two years, I think. So uh, I'm as said, going around normally in different kinds of conferences, doing sessions. And uh, now, basically, after uh, COVID started, I've changed my my work has changed from being 80% in front of audiences on big stages and 20% consulting to now being basically 80% of consulting and 20% of presenting. So different times. It's a bit of a loss for the community that used to see you uh, presenting so much. but. Uh... Times change, don't they? Uh, hope we get back. I've got a few. I've got a few flights booked for the be- next few weeks around Europe, and uh, I'm a I'm a uh, co-chair for a US conference, which will be in Redmond in August and in Orlando in uh, November. So those are actually taking place as in as um, in-person events. So hopefully we're getting back there, but that's how we roll now. You'll see some daylight again. Get out of the yeah. basement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> well, that's great. So, well, it's great to see you back and starting to tour again, Sammy. But I think we should take a few steps back and maybe start with how you got to be where you are today. So how did you first get into to technology and get to where you are? Uh, well, I have a company, me, myself and I, and it's actually my dad's company. And uh, it was established in 1981. I was... I was established in 1979, so it's my uh, it's my dad's company, and he used to work in IT. So I basically grew up with computers. I definitely did not think that's going to be my career. So I, uh, before I was 20, I actually I was working in IT, kind of a actually well, it's a little bit not that normal. I was actually 16 when I was a domain admin for PepsiCo's global network. So. I was a lot into IT, but I still thought that I'm actually going to be a scuba diver. And I uh, I got myself a scuba diving instructors and medic first aid instructors um, certification back then. And I thought I'd just sit on the beach and dive all my life. And then I just uh, realized that there's actually not that much money into it for me to be able to just buy myself a house or anything like that. So then I came back to Finland and I uh, started touring around different companies and uh, I was actually going 
to be just a normal IT guy installing computers. But then one guy who was working for a, the biggest training company in Finland actually said that I had I had more certificates than any of their instructors do. So it would be a very big shame if I'd be installing the computers for the other instructors. So if I have ever, have I ever thought about actually teaching IT myself? And I just said that I can teach scuba diving so I can teach IT as well. And that was back in 1999, I guess, which means that uh, since then I've been teaching anything related to operating systems, Windows internals. And for the past seven years or so, I've focused mostly on security. But I, um, it's, it was kind of, uh, it was basically because of my dad anyway that I got into this. But I did get into security a little bit more back in 2015 because I realized that, that whenever I went to speak in front of a big audience, uh, I saw that the security sessions were always even more full than any of my sessions and i started kind of getting interested into it i had always known how the operating system works so for me things that are not that obvious for many in security like uh, the fact that you can't be running admin rights because you'll just destroy the system those were normal for me because I had grown up with the operating systems and I knew how they operate, but I never kind of combined it to this. And then I uh, I realized that I went to the sessions, but I just basically hated all security sessions. So I think all the security sessions were, they were just meant to scare you. So I they were just made to make you super scared. So everyone started every session by saying that, so I'm going to, I'm going to hack you like this, then I'll hack you like this, then I'll hack you like this, and I'll hack you like this, and I'll hack you like this. And then everyone walked out of the room saying, oh, my company sucks. And everyone was just, it was all about scaring people. And I thought like, first of all, I want to teach people how not, not to have to be scared. And on the other hand, I realized that every session that I saw 95, 99% of all the demonstrations that were done would not work on a properly configured Windows operating system. And that got me, that got me really upset because I was like, what? like the book in 1993 for Windows NT 3.1, the book says that in Windows, there is no security if you're logging on as an admin. The security subsystem is not built to withstand the use of admin rights. But then you go and every session was about Mimi gets this, Mimi gets that, Mimi gets this, Mimi gets that. And it's like, it doesn't work. It's not even supposed to work. None of these demos work. I mean, it works if you have a home computer where you have to be an admin yourself. But if you would have a properly configured operating system like I had been teaching people to do, none of this would work. And that kind of like gave me that motivation that I actually wanted to start to talk about security. And I just switched gears a little bit. I just I I told them again how to configure everything, but I started explaining how it would actually mitigate all the threats that there were. And that kind of got me actually into what I'm doing mostly now. So I'm still I was like so proud. I was just a few months ago I was invited by Microsoft's Mark Rusinovich to speak at a uh, Sys Internals 25th anniversary 
conference, thousands and thousands of people from hundreds and hundreds of countries. And I was just I'm so proud of being there. And that was still about like maybe a little bit the older me because that was about process monitor. That was how to troubleshoot the operating system and how to understand internals. So it's still there. But currently, of course, also the world around us with everything right now happening here. Well, I live in Finland. We have more border with Russia than the whole European Union combined. So we're at, we're at the place where <laughs> things are actually happening. Plus, we have a little bit of history as well. So, uh, so of course, it's really hard for me to even concentrate on anything but security right now. Well, I think that that kind of leads us into one of the the threads we wanted to talk to you about because you've got this track record of being very good with the the defensive teaching, mm. being very practical. You know, you've got all these sessions, but you you really have this good knack for mixing kind of fun stuff with really practical, serious learnings. And uh, I know that one of your sites, WinFu, where you invented uh, the only Windows-based martial art, which I think yeah. is a, a wonderful concept. And, you know, you've probably done more to promote sysinternals than most people on the planet. So lots of great things going on there. But I noticed the WinFu blog has recently fired up again to give some information and some training for people who are in the Ukraine. And it's been done in multiple languages to to address those regions. So do you want to talk a little bit about the, the things you're doing on that side and some of your motivations there? Yeah, well, first of all, I um, when this all started happening, I... I felt that I, uh, I wanted to do something to help people in Ukraine. And I really thought that it would be best if I would, if I do something that I'm actually good at. And then I realized that, that the problem that I do have is that if I, if I create all these instructions, they are mostly in English. Sometimes I've translated them to my own language. Finnish is a very small language group. So, it's um, super difficult for anyone to understand. But then I found actually a person here through my contacts in a few different security groups. I found a Ukrainian uh, person working in Finland. And I asked her if uh, she would be willing to just translate basically everything I have, but in a super rapid speed because we needed it instantly. And also I changed into thinking about what are super simple things that you can actually deploy in a matter of hours which will have a huge impact whether you're preached or not because of course now the cyber attacks are going around like crazy they're towards ukraine towards russia towards finland towards everyone so that that was like the first thing for me was that there are certain things that you can just lock down which are basically basically more more like switches that you can just lock down instead of it's really difficult for me to go, and I, I can always say that it would solve everything if you if you just stopped using excessive privileges. But th that's a concept. That that's a change of how how you work. I just have a big customer with more many many hundreds of thousands of computers, and and uh, we we start we're, we're getting rid of their admin rights, and when when we're in the process of that, the service desk people called me and said that, but, but Sammy, how, how are we supposed to fix the computers? Because we have always logged onto the machine remotely, but we don't need to switch the user because we can use the user that's logged on because they have admin rights and we can fix things. So changing a company with potentially like hundreds of thousands of endpoints and hundreds of people working globally in the service desk, changing something like that is a big cost. That's going to take time. That's going to take training. 
now we're in a situation where you're listening to the news and hearing how many miles away from the capital the enemy troops are. So I wanted to build instructions that are just super rapid to deploy and which make the biggest impact. Like, just as an example, companies get breached. Companies don't get breached because they get ransomware. I mean, probably every company has ransomware. As long as it's on a single person, that's not newsworthy. But then when that escalates somehow into gaining domain admin rights, allowing you to actually encrypt the whole Active Directory database, then the company is held hostage, and that's when you're on the news. Well, Windows, again, back to my basic teachings, this is not Sammy says, this is just basic facts about Windows. Domain admin rights are not required on any other device than a domain controller. That there is not a single line in a security policy anywhere else but on a domain controller that would specifically say domain admins. They only get their privileges around the whole company because they belong to the local administrators group. But Sammy can belong to that same group as well having exactly the same privileges to fix everything that, that's needed, but if breached, cannot breach the whole active data. So going down to set these five policies to prevent domain admins from logging on to anything but a domain controller. Do that now, and you basically mitigated most of the possibilities of escalating that attack easily. So I started building those. And that was kind of the public thing that I wanted to do to help out anyone who's listening. And then the other one was so amazing because I've, be, I've grown up and I've lived my life having customers that ask me to fix their systems. They call me and say, Microsoft can't fix it. Our third level can't fix it. No one can fix it. Can we fly you over and you can fix it? You can try to fix it. That's what I've done for my whole life. Suddenly, when... This war started, and the company said they're going to move away from Russia. They're going to leave the business there. Suddenly, my phone was ringing 24-7, asking if I could destroy their environments as fast as possible, which was just like, it blew my mind. I was like, what? what? Excuse me, what do you want to do? We need to bomb every domain controller. We have to make sure that on this second, during this day, in a snap, everything dies. Because we have to leave all the systems behind enemy lines, and we have to be out there next Saturday before a new law will be in place that allows, basically, Russians to take over whatever they leave behind. So they're calling, like, Saturday morning, calling me and saying, Sunday afternoon, everything needs to be wiped out. and. That's a really, really weird concept for me, <laughs> being on the completely other side. But then kind of same, same things that I've been teaching on the defensive side actually work very well on the offensive side as well. If the good thing about having hard disk encryption, most people think that hard disk encryption has to be like BitLocker needs to be on the machine because you have data, but people miss that concept completely. BitLocker... It's great that it protects data, but that's not the thing about BitLocker. BitLocker's most important feature is integrity. It, it keeps your system intact so that no one can tamper with it. 
it gives you the benefit of being able to sell your computer whenever you want. And when you're wiping the disk, you don't have to take seven hours of Linux disk wipe. Instead, you just have two seconds with your format command on Windows to wipe the key itself. That's only 128 bits or 256 bits to wipe. You can, in a matter of two seconds, you can securely wipe. And now if you have a customer saying, we can't trust that we have to wipe the whole disk, well, then that's hypocritical because you could not have used BitLocker in the first place because you're just basically saying you do not trust the encryption, which means you couldn't use it in the beginning. But that fact that we can securely wipe can, of course, be used as a very effective offensive one as well, offensive mechanism as well, because that basically means that the only thing we need to do is make sure no keys are left behind, and on that minute that we need to destroy everything, we only need to wipe the key, and we can just leave everything at least we assume that we can't open them anymore. Be on the safe side, probably not best in security to say that no one has hacked this, but at least we base everything that we know on these beliefs that they haven't been hacked yet, like BitLocker's encryption itself. So that was the other thing. It's kind of keeping Ukrainians safe. And then the other new thing that, just changed my work is that I have to help my own country's companies into being able to flee from that enemy country. Flipping over overnight to be an offensive security professional, not a defensive security professional. It's a shift. (laughs) Yeah, being, being paid for it and kind of it being totally fine if you're just destroying systems. Yeah, so it's very rare that that's okay. Just go and yeah. destroy this and see what happens. Yeah. Like, but yeah. make sure it's a good destroy. <laughs> exactly. Well, there are. Well, I, I, uh, to be fair, <laughs> it's new to me, which means I actually had a very well funny occasion as well. I just uh, we had a had a domain controller that had an Active Directory database, and I didn't think think through. But early days when we were still using old disk systems. There was an old uh, recommendation that you should put the database actually on a separate disk than your system drive. And the customer had that moved to another disk. And then I just told them, just yeah, just bitlock at the disk. And, but you have to bitlock at the data disk as well. <laughs> That's absolutely not supported, which meant that the only command controller behind enemy lines actually put it up in a blue screen. <laughs> absolutely. Had to, <laughs> had to build a new DC for us to destroy it properly. <laughs> it's a uh, uh, there's well these will these will I would say luckily at least compared to my like grandfather these these will be the war stories that I hopefully will tell my kids. Yeah, and I, I want to take you back to that 16 year old version of yourself as well, and think about at the time you had your domain admin privileges at PepsiCo, you were you know, le- leading the way. What what's something you would look back and tell yourself in that situation now? Well, the first thing, of course, is that I, when I, when I was that age, I, I was still a strong believer, like many people are today, in the fact that the more power you have, the better you are. Because I, I would collect these badges. I would just like, I had like basically domain admin written on my forehead because it was just so cool. I had. It, it kind of tells the story. When I went to a user group meeting, the first thing, everyone was supposed to introduce themselves. And it always starts off with, 
what do you do for work and how many computers you look after? I mean, it's like we had this one guy from a university. So I have, we have 12,000 computers and most people are like, oh my God. And then I, in, in Finland, companies are smaller. So I remember when this one guy, uh, Jari, came to the meeting, he sat there. He was 20 years older probably than any of us anyone else there he sat there and then he opened us he opened a semantic antivirus management dashboard or something like that he opened it up and he was like can you see all these these semantic notes here and everyone was like oh my god like how many is that that's like probably sixteen thousand. that's i've never seen so many antivirus clients and then he looked at us no those are management servers okay but everything was about how big an environment you're actually looking after. How many people you con- you thought you controlled people, although you actually just controlled stupid PCs. But that was kind of the thing. And I remember it very well because I was the, it, the more I could get, the better I felt. And then when I went to, I was one of the people who established the, uh, the biggest training company in Finland. It's a traditional Microsoft training house. And I remember when I went there and my best friend actually just sent me a picture. He got married exactly 10 years ago today. Just sent me a picture of the wedding. I was his best man. And uh, a little bit before that, uh, he joined our company. He came to work for us. And I remember when he came in and he was like, he had like, a, he, he had like keys that he was holding. And he came to me and uh, I lived about 400 meters from the office, the new office. And he came to me and he was like showing his keys like this. You know what? You, you know what that? You know what that is? Like, I have no idea. That's the key to our server room. But I heard that you, even though you're a shareholder, you act, or your partner, you, you don't actually have a key. Like, no, I don't. I don't even have a key for me. And then it took like the next Saturday morning. He called me and said, like, what's the thing here? Like. I have a horrible hangover and now I have to drive like 30 kilometers to boot a freaking server. Because, but you live like next door. <laughs> Waving the keys back at him. Like I, I realized that it's actually not good to have more power. Everything would have been simple if I would have realized how much easier it is to use the correct level of privileges and not trying. I, I mean, I, I, I was 16, so... Have to give me some slack here, but I remember I would stay there after hours because someone came to me and said, "You know, I heard that NT4 you can actually install Solitaire and Minesweeper." Like, yeah, I can, but, but we don't have admin rights. We can't. Can you? Yeah, I can. And I would stay there after hours installing games for people who would go home, spend time with their family, only because I could. I was just like. That was so cool of having all that power. And now, I'm not saying I'm totally opposite. I'm, I fa- if my project makes your work harder, I failed. I mean, I completely believe that whenever security starts to somehow hinder usability, you, you're going to lose buy-in. As, at least from the management level, you're going to lose buy-in, which means that that will never work. So, so it has to be enough. But excessive, it, it, I mean, I don't want to have that. I don't, I don't want to have that key to the server room if I don't have to. <laughs> Honestly, 
have a have I have four kids. I got things to do. I'm seeing a, a pattern here in your story, Sammy, because you've talked there about your young self, you know, basically being proud to have been the domain admin and almost having it written on your forehead. And you now travel around the world giving out hats with the Elvish word for administrator on them. And I believe this originated from a story, well, a joke about what a golem hangover is. So maybe you want to explain how you ended up going from a golem hangover to carrying boxes of uh, hats and stickers around the world with you. This is this is so fun. I I I, I love sharing these stories because this is actually really funny. I've, I've been people are people are looking at me and thinking I've had I've had to like bribe someone or something because my first ever TechEd that I was a speaker at was. TechEd New Orleans 2013. There's more than a thousand speakers nowadays at Ignite. There's more than 1,700 speakers, but there's a lot of people there, a lot of talented people. And then on 2004, during 2014 at TechEd US, I actually won the whole conference as the best speaker with the best session. And now everyone is like, what? Like people have used a decade to get there. And suddenly you just appear somewhere from Finland and win the whole thing. And people forgot that I had been a professional instructor for 13 years back then. I had done this, but my country has a so small a language group that when I did everything in Finnish, like you said, Elvish, no one, no one, would, no one would understand. And then when I got in, finally, I... Uh, I said to myself that I have to make a name out of myself, so I have to make them remember me somehow. And then I, uh, I started making. I'm, I'm. I've always said if I didn't have, if I didn't have to worry about money, I'd be a radio host. I mean, that, that's honestly that's what I would love to do. That that's absolutely what I. But in Finland, if you want to make money by being a radio host, you have to sell your privacy. You'll be one of those people who's on the tabloid magazines, and that's when. You can actually make money out of radio. So I, uh, I, I still have those four kids, and but I, but I always, people said I should be in doing stand-up comedy. It's like many people tell it to me, like why don't you do it? You'd be great at it. And I'm always, in, I, I just believe it that people learn better if they actually enjoy learning. So I've always made sure that my sessions are fun. And this is something that this is like a little bit like a magician revealing their tricks. But one thing I do always is I always choose jokes before I choose any of the other content. So I always, if I make a 75-minute session, I'll have, I'll have my jokes first. And that's the same there. Same mentality, same idea. So I, uh, I had a joke, and the joke was, you know what the column hangover is? The column hangover is when you wake up gray and naked behind a rock and you lost the ring. And I had this joke. And I needed to get that joke into a session, which title was Black Belt Troubleshooting Windows 8. <laughs> so, 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 so it's, it's a little bit of segueing there. <laughs> and then I realized that, hey, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the language of... Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote, wrote the uh, Lord of the Rings, he was a linguist. So he... he he built the language for the elves, or actually six or seven of them, but he wanted to use a language that basically no one would understand. <laughs> so he, uh, he chose Finnish. And um, the stories are related to our, our like national saga or whatever you call it. And 
called Kalevala. And uh, he also used the language as the base of the language for the elves. So I was like, okay, so J.R.R. Tolkien, language of the elves, I can get into J.R.R. Tolkien and Gollum. But I have to get there through Finn. I'm from Finland, so I can, I can do that. And then I just realized that one thing I had been struggling with was that when I had to log on to systems that you had no domain connectivity and no cache credentials, I had to use the local admin. And in the Finnish user interface, the local administrator is, like you said, it's very far from anything else. Like Swedish get administrator, so it's almost like administrator. Spanish, that's the sexiest one, absolutely, that's administrador. But anyway, so they're close to it. But in Finnish, it's järjestelmän valvoja, which is just a totally non-understandable long word. And I, I, I thought that I have, that, that's my segue <laughs> from Windows, <laughs> where you need local admin rights, and I have to teach people how to hack the local admin. So if I hack the local admin, but use the Finnish user interface for it, then I can actually get into Finnish language, which can take me up to J.R.R. Tolkien, which can finally take me into the Gollum joke. And it was supposed to be, it was just a, it was just a build up for a joke, but it ended up being my trademark because people just loved it. They're like, what, 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 what's that, what's that, what's that word? Like, yeah, it's järjestelmä valvoja, it's our administrator. It's like, what, what, you have to build like t-shirts. And I actually started building t-shirts with the word and I sell hoodies nowadays with it. And I have beanies and I've had lids and whatever. People just, people want it. And it, also it made myself known. I love it. It's like you're the, uh, the original influencer before that was cool. So yeah. do we make you like a, a hipster influencer? I think that's probably a good starting point, right? <laughs> the original Finnish hipster influencer. <laughs> I think we'll definitely have to post a link to Sammy's store in the details of this podcast as well, so anyone can buy this. I spent 10 minutes before this recording trying to pronounce the word and gave up, so I just thought I'd ask the story and let Sammy do it himself. <laughs> so I'm going to change gears a bit here on you, Sammy, and flip from the from the fun, entertaining side of Sammy to the, the practical, uh, defensive <laughs> side of Sammy. So let's talk a little bit about the Vastamo ransomware event in <laughs> Finland. So for people who aren't familiar with this, this was a healthcare provider, mental health counseling facility who were breached. And had this been probably in the US and the scale it was there, I think everyone in the world would have known about it, but perhaps it was kept more local to Finland. It hit some of the headlines in Europe, but didn't probably make it out as big. But just for the uniqueness of the, the ransomware attack, we see very few things that are as deeply personal as the kind of data that was involved in these things. And I think it really brings home the human impact and Yourself, especially, you were caught on both the, the defensive and reacting side to it and the actual breach itself. So maybe you just want to set the scene a little there as to how you became involved in this breach. Yeah, so this was really weird for me. I became kind of a public face for this because I'm a security expert, yet I really couldn't do anything to prevent my personal data from being breached. Like, there's really nothing I could have done. I, I can't walk to the doctors and tell them that you have to secure systems like this. I was just a normal patient. I was there for a few consultations regarding like family therapy, nothing too dramatic. So for me, basically losing my information was 
annoying because I have to do like credit bans against myself because they have all my personal details. And we, we use this, we used to call it social security number, like this um, personal number that identifies you from anyone having the same name, for example. Um, this personal identification number was stolen as well. And in Finland, it used to be so that if you just knew that, you could actually make purchases up to 2,000 euros, for example. So that was annoying. And I had to make credit bans against me, which I have to renew every two years because of that being lost. But the thing was that there were 40,000 people whose patient transcripts were lost as well. And this is the conversation between the doctor and the patient. Me talking about family difficulties, I'm not worried about that. But there are people, there were teenagers, kids, people telling who they had affairs with, people talking why they tried to commit suicide. I mean, like, there's probably nothing more personal and nothing more secret than you speaking to your therapist. So all that data was stolen. It was a horrible case. There's a SQL database that was open to the internet. People said that they used the default password. They didn't. I can tell you one technical detail that was a mistake in a few of those news uh, clips because they said that they used the default password. And the CEO of the company said that that's not true. And he was actually not lying because they didn't use a password at all. So there was no default password used, but there was no password at all. So um, everything was open. So it's a, like, in that sense, technically, nothing difficult. A person who calls himself ransom man, him, her, we don't know. One man group, we don't know. But that actor calls himself ransom man. And suddenly he sent a post on the Tor network on a forum saying that he's going to start to make those uh, records public 100 at a time per day because the company has not paid for his uh, his ransom. So he he demanded 450,000 euros from the company. But this is where it gets different because that's a normal ransom attack. But now what happens was this was not common at that time. Only cases that had the same were some attacks against plastic surgery clinics. But that's a different ballgame because there you you attack the celebrity by yeah. telling them that unless you pay, I will publish that you went to plastic surgery. But this was 40,000 innocent people, and he actually built a system of 40,000 different Bitcoin addresses so that he can keep up, keep books on who paid and who didn't. And then he sent out an email to everyone and said, if you pay 500, uh, 200 in 24 hours or 500 in 48 hours, he will not publish it. Well, I got that note as well. Actually, two times. He made some sort of a typo in first of them, but he sent it two times. I got him. And uh, there was 300 names or t 300 text files that he published already. So 100 a day, 100 a day, 100 a day. And then he made the biggest mistake which was that for seven hours, he accidentally put the whole database dump on that same page, which meant that many people were able to actually download that whole database dump. So basically now <clears throat> even paying would not help because it was actually widely available. Uh, the good thing was that it also housed the code that he used. 
which means that we have like possibility of fingerprinting code. Uh, what kind of what kind of resources he used? What kind of scripts he used? What open source he used? When did he download those from where? And there's some kind of a uh, you can do some forensics on that. But but anyway, he put that there. His his uh, holy grail, his most precious asset was that seven gig. For seven hours, I don't remember how many tens of gigs it was, but for seven hours, it was widely available. And uh, that, I guess, scared him because now when everyone realized that there's actually the patient data of everyone, even the black hat hackers started to turn against him. And this changed the game completely. He was suddenly running away from everyone, both the good and the bad sides. And... I think one of the things that really changed the whole changed the game for him was that the news actually announced that this is the biggest crime in the history of the country. It's not cybercrime. I mean, in general, it's the biggest crime that has ever been committed in Finland. There's 40,000 victims. The government needed to build a new system just to be able to interview 20, interview 40,000 victims. I mean, it, the scale is so huge, especially for us. There's 5.5 million people here. Everyone who works in a company knows now someone who's a victim. So it became like a, it became like a national thing to try to hunt the guy down. That haven't still found him, but uh, the hunt goes on. And have there been any like follow-on? copycat attacks because obviously finland's you know from a information point of view is quite an open company you publish tax mm -hmm. records so you can see who the wealthy people are you can see if you were able to get access that seven gigabyte or terabyte dump you can then put those two together so have there been any follow-on copycat type attacks well not really maybe not that much of a copycat attack uh globally yes i mean globally there have now been ransomware cases more where you actually start to ask ransom from the victims themselves um, of the customers, not the company. But what has happened is that this is now officially the police has admitted that this information is now being used to commit crimes. So now we are facing or seeing these situations where the personal identification... It, it's really weird that, for example, in Finland, if you know that personal number, that identification number, if you know it, you can change their home address. So the whole system online, where you go and announce when you're moving from an apartment to another, the only identification is based on that number. But if you know that number, you can just, as a prank, you can just move people from a location to another. Then our government started saying silly things like, oh, we will fix this by making it easier for everyone to change that number. I mean, the only way to change the number currently has been if you go through a if you change your gender or if you go if you get into a uh, witness protection program those are the only like legal ways of changing that number but now they're just saying that let's make it easier for everyone to change it like like everyone else is saying let's please just prevent it from being used for authentication without strong authentication like mfa with your bank bank numbers and like your mfa applications and all this stuff but i don't know that sounds pretty pretty horrendous, to be honest. Like, lots of long-lasting consequences, right? Yeah, think about it. This is not the like if someone if someone steals information from your like your Nvidia 
account or something like that. But that's annoying. But that's not like like that's not jump off the bridge kind of stuff. This is. So this is like I've never ever faced a uh crime, a cyber crime that would be more cruel than this. It's just the darkest secrets of people. And then some idiots started instantly doing like web portals. So I have the data here. Here's a web portal where you can just type in the person's name and see if they're on the dump. And everyone started going through it. It was the biggest provider of these private services, which meant that all the celebrities were there as well. So they're, of course, the first. It started to be kind of the same as when we, like you said, James, that we, we actually announced the, uh, all the information from the tax office. So the first thing happened when they publish it, everyone, if you ask anyone, no one uses it. Ne- never, ever. No, no one uses it. It's it, absolutely like no one uses it. And then you see like every, there's like 10 million hits on the first morning of Finnish people being so interested in how much their neighbor makes money. So this is kind of the same thing. Then everyone, okay, it's on the internet. We don't even have to take it down because no one would be so horrible that they would actually search for that data. But then there's the radio hosts and then there's the TV hosts and our politicians. And it's just too tempting. And people start going through it. And that is, there's been kind of like targeted attacks, which are more about a celebrity. And now they know that they had an affair with someone and they want to, ask for money from them but then there's like this less targeted general attacks where they actually just try to abuse the fact that when they know the person's address phone number personal identification number they can order a bicycle feel that's like maybe ev- the other one i was gonna say i feel like everything you've said there it, it makes you feel very vulnerable Absolutely. How, how do you think you've changed emotionally towards are these still a safe space? I'm, 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 I'm really worried about putting my data into any of these systems because that kind of like surfaced the fact for everyone that Finland also has two different kinds of categories. There's like the public services, which are actually using a database, centralized database, but whenever anyone uses that centralized database, they have to take these yearly audits. And then there's this huge, giant, private category, which has absolutely no rules. Which is a little bit weird, because the private ones are the more expensive ones, which people tend to go to because they don't want to go on the public side. But in this case, for example, the, the private side was a complete wild, wild west. There's absolutely no rules. And now they are doing, now the GDPR comes into play in Europe as well. So GDPR regulations, they now get a GDPR fine because they also didn't take care of the customer data. And that was something like 50 euros per person or something. So that kind of makes you also think that, hey, my private data based on our cool GDPR, which everyone is so afraid of, was worth 50 bucks. And... um, I am actually, I'm also in the line. I've been interviewed by the police and there's actually, it might be that if they, for some way, they are able to get some money out of the now bankrupt company, I might actually be getting up to 200 euros of payment for my 
yeah, for a lifetime of inconvenience and yes, you know, of complete breach of your privacy, it's it's quite frightening, isn't it? So, one of the things that I keep seeing is, you know, these breaches they hit the headlines and we see all the you know attention over the initial uh, incident, but then often I kind of feel like people aren't learning the lessons. I they're they're very rarely innovative breaches or zero day attacks. They're mm. like you say, a database that's put online and there's no controls there or no password there, or like you say people logging into workstations as domain admins and things like mm. this. So what do you think we can do to start to to move the needle and get more defensive against these things? Is it an issue of training? Is it an issue of budget? Is it all of these things on more? It's more about training and uh, knowledge. It's not that much about budget, which is not which was now very easy to kind of also effectively show people we can use things. We can use proactive security concepts, and that doesn't really cost you money. But then we have the the other way of just like buying yellow boxes, like all my friends say. We just buy another yellow box to fight. Like I was in Saudi Arabia once and they hired me to block Shamoon 2. And uh, I went in and I told them that Shamoon 2 encrypts the master boot record of your disk. You can't do that without admin rights. So let's take away the admin rights. And they were very, very offended because they wanted me to sell them a yellow box. Yes. And that, that's the way. That's the way it always seems to work is that they, they fix one thing and then it's like now we, now we have more than a hundred now we have more than a hundred uh, security patches to install per month. We used to talk about a few. It's the same as with the viruses. Back in 1995, you had six viruses that could attack Windows. Now you have more than a million per day, which 98% of will only appear once. I mean, the reactive is so much more difficult. It's it's more about knowledge. Um, I think it was really nice. There's a book by the most famous IT guy in Finland, Mikko Hyppönen. He wrote a book, sadly, it's in Elvish. So you probably don't <laughs> understand it yet. But um, the book is called Internet. And when I listened to it, I was taking my dog out and I, uh, I was listening to it on audiobook. And he kind of said, I was really happy to know that he really agrees with me. I don't think we've had this conversation on that level before. And uh, but he, like, what he said was the same thing: that security is simple at the end of the day. For example, if your problem is that you might pay one hundred thousand euro invoices to a wrong target because of a CEO scam kind of a thing, whether it's paying the most big, whether it's paying the biggest invoices or it's managing your directory services, it's really simple things the computer that can take down the company should not be able to go to Facebook. That There's no rocket science there. It's exactly the same thing. If you have a user who can take down the directory service, they should not be able to log on to a secretary's computer. It's a lot more of these big building blocks. I think it's a problem that we've seen over the years, haven't we? You know, people used to, some of the earliest viruses and worms used to exploit known vulnerabilities, default credentials, basic messes in security. And we're still seeing this, but now what we're doing is we're scaling it up into the cloud and into IoT devices, which 
for some reason that baffles me, people seem to innately trust a lot of the time and assume that someone else is doing the security for them. I, I, I think a lot of the time it's exactly the same concepts, doing the basics and you know segregating things up, dividing things and putting security boundaries in place, but it's just the, the problem yeah. is growing exponentially. I think I don't know if it, I don't know if it was in UK or but somewhere there was all already a, like a law in place that when you sell a device you cannot sell it with a default password. I mean yeah we, things, we had things, that California too like they started it, it, that. Yeah. yeah. So so something like that. I mean th- this actually makes a difference. Like when you when we need to patch your router and change that password compared to we have people here in Finland who say that we should actually distribute a Finnish-built Linux distribution to every user on a USB key so that they can just use a... Like, come on, these are like home household gadgets. We're not like, we don't have IT people, 5.5 million here. We have normal people who actually do a lot more fun stuff than we might do in IT. So uh, it, it's, it's simple things, but it's also the same... I, I, when I sent out those tweets, they're now blo- posted on my blog, blog.win-foo.com as well. But I started off as a series of tweets. And one of those tweets was, your SSD lives longer if you remove your admin rights. That's a lot better way of making people think they should get rid of admin rights than telling them that if you remove admin rights, you are protecting your computer from vulnerabilities. I couldn't care less. But if someone says my computer works faster for a longer time with less interruptions and my SSD lives longer, that's cool. But it's the same thing. I mean, if you can't write to your disk, your SSD wears out slower. Just physics. SSDs wear out by writing to them. But if you can't write to them, you're blocking yourself not from installing a printer, you're actually just blocking yourself from hurting your SSD. But people, I I always show the slide to everyone where this, like the normal guy who I face is, if we don't have admin rights, we can't fix our computers and we have to call service desk. As in reality, if you don't have admin rights, you can't break your computer and you don't have to call the service desk. But the, these are the things that are, it totally depends on how you sell things. I think there's one Finnish guy who was very smart. He once told me that I made a mistake in the session. And I said that you have to learn, teach people how to use uh, passwords that are difficult enough. So you have to have complicated passwords. And then he came to me after the session and said, Sammy, diamond, when it comes to the technical stuff you're talking about, you can't do that. I was like, what, what am I doing wrong? You will never ever tell people that their passwords need to be complicated. You tell them that they need to be strong. Because the human mind instantly, when it hears that that's complicated and difficult, that that's IT people making my life harder and I hate them. So it's so much about marketing. And that's what, that's what I think it's more about us spreading this knowledge in a f- way that people are actually willing and able to digest it instead of someone just shouting out, you have to have this and this setting on there and you have to update this and this. And I think it's more about knowledge. It's not the fact that they wouldn't have budgets to do it. Actually, many people ask me, they've never heard that your computer is less vulnerable if they simply just take their normal user account down to a limited. 
I find it quite interesting, Sammy. You've um, you've looped all the way back round to I don't want to make it scary for people. Yeah. Like fr- from your original kind of light switch moment to get into security, I, I don't want this to be scary. I think that's just a, a really nice kind of framing. It's like don't make the use of the enemy, right? Like it's not, it shouldn't be hard for you. It's not something you've done, but let's support you in this. So yeah, I love that. Um, I did have a couple of final questions for you, okay. actually, as we're kind of coming to the close of our time together. One of them was a little bit more about you. So where can we find you? You mentioned your blog, um, Twitter. Twitter is absolutely the uh, best. Uh, Sami Laiho. S-A-M-I-L-A-I-H-O. All together. That's my Twitter handle. That's where I'm most active. Um, I have a free newsletter. You can find it. Find a link to join to it from my uh, website, which was already mentioned. Win dashfoo.com um, blog like I said um, I'm so this thing what I do is take care of people and customer security evolves so fast that I seem to have very I, I at least seem to think I'm so busy that I don't have the time to write a blog so I seem to tweet a lot all the time so um, I think that's the more active one but I have the blog and I have a really cool uh, video on demand service which is on WinFu as well. So that's called Dojo. Um, win-foo.com slash dojo or dojo.win-foo.com. I, I create uh, content there. It's my radio show. That's where no one's telling me that your audio, Sammy, today, Sammy, today your audio is two decibels wrong. We have <laughs> to re-record everything. This is my... Uh, quick release <laughs> platform so it's unplugged version <laughs> I, I love but, it <laughs> and then um the the kind of last question i'd like to ask you is if you were sat here in mine or, or james's shoes what should we have asked you today oh my god that's a very very difficult question i guess you should have asked me that you should have asked me what can I, as an end user, to end user do to protect myself? And I would answer that we mentioned many of the things here, and one of them would be that just finally, please make sure that you create the second user account, the one you've been now using. Create a new one next to it, make it an admin, and then drop yourself from being an admin to a limited user. If you have the know-how. How to do it, limit PowerShell.exe's ability to talk outside of your computer. Create a firewall rule saying don't allow PowerShell to talk to the internet. That's the supply channel for both uh, code itself runs in, fa- in PowerShell, but even more it talks to the command and control servers. So we have to block them. Super, super, like I said, super simple things. Don't talk to bad guys. Don't use too much privileges on your machine. And if you honestly take care of millions of euros with your invoicing, do it from another computer than the one you Facebook with. Some great advice there, Sammy. And I think if anyone wants to know how to do some of those steps, winfu.com, the blog there, the, the stuff that helping people in the Ukraine is equally relevant to anywhere anywhere in the world. 
and Sammy talks you through how to implement those steps. Personally, Kyle, I think we should have uh, asked him, could we have some free JBL beanies? But uh, <laughs> maybe we'll invite him on again and, and try next time. Yeah, if we see you in Miami, that's when we're going. <laughs> exactly, exactly. When I when I see you the next time, you you can have those. Like it's a, <laughs> like I said, it's normally my only thing I'm not good at is logistics. I find myself, I find myself like, like I had a six hundred coffee mugs. Järjestelmän valvoja is such a long word; it doesn't fit on a coffee mug. So now I use J eighteen. So that's the way we use Finnish words. The first letter and then you just put a number of how many letters so <laughs> j18 and i ended up being in hyatt and they shipped them there but i left them at the business center big mistake they charge per day based on weight ah. so i had like <laughs> half a ton of coffee mugs sitting there because i didn't want to take it into my room of course ended up paying a lot of money to store them there but I'll take you those two those two beanies. We can we can find a way of how to get that to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I just want to say it's been incredible having you here, Sammy. Um, as James said, some lovely practical advice, some amazing stories from kind of behind your terminal, and um, just thank you for giving us the time today. It's been fantastic, and really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I'd do this for a few hours more if I was given the chance. So. I'll be Give back. Give a chance <laughs> and a few more beers. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Adventures with Alice and Bob. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate, review, and share this with colleagues that'll get value from it. <laughs>